Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, what up, guys? This is Matt Barnes. And if you want to increase your network, meet a lot of cool people, you need to link up with my man, Travis Chappell at Build Your Network. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Matt Barnes. Matt, what's up, bro? Welcome to the show. Man, thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So these ones are always fun for me, bro, because I'm a huge basketball fan. I played my whole life. That's basically all I did when I was a kid. So, you know, watching watching you play up on the big screen with some of, some of the greats, some of the legends, mm-hmm. it's cool to be able to sit here now and kind of chat with you about mutual interests like yeah. podcasting business and all that all right. kind of stuff. So, uh, but I, before we get into that stuff, I want to kind of take it back, back, back in the day, um, and talk about how you got to where you are now. So, you know, let's take it back to, let's say, you know, nine, 10 year old Matt Barnes, you know, <laughs> set the scene for us, you know, where'd you grow up, yeah. family life, all that good stuff. Born in San Jose, California, lived there until about, I was about nine, moved to Sacramento. Both my parents were functioning drug users. I wouldn't call it addicts because we still, you know, we never went with it. We didn't have much, but we didn't go without. We were still, you know, maintained. Through that, some rights and wrongs ended up having to move to Sacramento. And being a biracial child, uh, my mom Italian, dad black, I faced a lot of racism. 
growing up in in Sacramento in, in the particular. Bay. No, in Sacramento. So the Bay, oh, okay. the Bay in Sacramento, maybe an hour and a half drive apart. Yeah. So Bay, very diverse. Sacramento at the time wasn't very diverse. So we were looking for a new start. Went out there and kind of got off to a rough start. Really kind of had to fight my way to acceptance. You know, I would would, would, would be devastated when I'd come home and, you know, my, my, from school, my mom, the, the kids would let me play. I'm on the verge of crying to my mom. And my dad's like, no, you know, if they, you know, if they throw racial slurs at you or they say this, do you fight them? So I'm just like, okay. So my dad's giving me the okay. And it, that's kind of really how I started getting acceptance was, you know, racial slurs were thrown. I'd fight, and, and, right, <laughs> and, and, and to the point where, you know, I was doing what I was supposed to do and it started kind of slowing down and then they would let me play. And then I was good at all the sports. And oddly enough, you know, through that, I, I still have friends from third and fourth grade that kind of started off rough that I'm friends with to this day. So, you know, so through sports, it kind of gained an acceptance and an understanding and gave me an opportunity to show who I was. And I've really kind of been on that journey my whole career, you know, fortunate enough to play 14 years in the NBA, but was someone who was always kind of misunderstood or labeled. And I understand, you know, obviously a reputation is earned, whether good or bad. So I earned part of it. But what they really saw was just a competitor in me. And they judged me, my whole persona off that particular uh, person. So post-career, been able to kind of show who I am as a man, business owner, father, and just really the whole book of Matt Barnes instead of just, you know, the first couple of pages. Yeah, sure. So when you were in that environment, do you think that's why you like really went down the sports path a lot was almost was like a form of communication a little bit? Um, that and, and to really just stay out of trouble, you know, although okay. I went to, you know, predominantly, uh, white schools, I still lived in mixed neighborhoods. And when I play basketball, they were in, 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 you know, in the poor black neighborhoods. So yeah, really yeah. just trying to stay on track because, you know, I always thought one day I was going to be a professional football player, professional basketball player. And I wasn't going to let nothing take me off that path. So, you know, although I came across, you know, several road bumps, uh, you know, I was able to prevail and, and, and turn it into, you know, a storybook career. Did your parents ever like step in and kind of like, were they kind of like the do as I say, not as I do type folks where yeah. it's like, I'm, I'm, we're, we're putting you in the opportunity to do things that aren't the things that yeah. we're doing, even right. though we know we're still doing those things. I never understood why they would put me in these predominantly white schools. Like it was... None of the kids I played with in my neighborhood, you know, none of my basketball friends. And I never, it used to just bother me. But then looking back on it, it just showed me the other side. You know yeah, what I mean? A yeah. lot of my best friends from from high school are white. You know yeah. what I mean? And that was the first time we ate at a dinner table or went on a family vacation. Mm. All those things I experienced with white families. And being able to communicate and kind of be a chameleon and fit in any any room. Sure. That was my ability to, like I said, be in the streets and playing basketball in, in bad neighborhoods. But then going to school with a different demographic and, and being able to blend in both rooms. So looking back on it, uh, now I understood. But during the process, it was tough because, like I said, throughout the common theme through my childhood out there was facing racism. Yeah. You're clearly a family man. You clearly like, you know, the kids is like that's that's your life now. And like right. you're you're a, you're a dad, you know, that's yeah. a big part of your identity now, which. I, I respect the hell out of that just because I have a couple of kids. Right. Anytime I'm sitting around other parents that have like had a ton more experience than I have, I'm always selfishly so asking some questions. Absolutely. So tell me, talk to me about some parenting yeah, I things. I mean, really, you know, I've, I've had a, a kind of a trial and error type upbringing. You know, I lost my mom um, in 08 to cancer. And mm. then, you know, through losing her is when I kind of mended the relationship with my dad. So a lot of stuff was growing up was kind of trial and error because I didn't really have 
too much to lean back on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like um, I saw things early on um, with drugs and abuse that stuck with me to this day and knew that, you know, those weren't going to be passed that I took. So with my kids, I just try to, you know, be real and open and upfront with them. You know, mm. they're 12 years old now and then I have a two year old as well. But, you know, we had the cannabis talk at eight. You know, they I put them to bed one night and I was down by the pool, you know, have my little nightcap joint. And I guess they look through the window and see me next day. They come downstairs like, Dad, you're smoking cigarettes. You know what it's going to do to your lungs. And I'm just like, oh, shit, here's the moment of truth. Do I say I'm smoking <laughs> a cigarette or do I tell them what I was really doing? And, yeah. you know, I just chose the truth. And I told them, you know, you know, it's not a cigarette. It's a joint. Well, what's a joint? I'm just like, I'm like, all right. Then they're really starting to ask me questions. I'm like, do you know, you know, daddy plays basketball. My knees hurt. My ankles hurt. My back hurts. I don't like to take medicine because medicine makes my stomach hurt. I don't drink alcohol. So when I smoke a joint, it takes the pain away, allows me to sleep, focus, and just, you know, be a better person. And they're just like, okay. And then one of the twins is like, well, dad, you know, my ankle hurts. When can I smoke? <laughs> so I'm like, oh, shit. But, you know, like I said, to me, it's it's because the internet, we didn't have the internet and the access that our children are going to have. So to me, I would rather teach them. Maybe I'd introduce them something that some can say is too early, but at least it's an yeah. introduction. So when I know I have to come back to it, we've had this conversation. So whether it be cannabis, whether it be women, whether it be lying, any of this kind of stuff, like I'm just really up. Oh, and open with these boys because I want them to have a, an open line of communication with me. Like I said, yeah. I don't have any control of when they're not with me, what they're looking at or what their friends are telling them. So I want to have some, some morals and principles and, you know, foundational stuff that, that is going to stick with them. And then, like I said, when we come across those roadblocks, hopefully it'll be an easier conversation. Yeah. And kids have that natural intuition too, you know, like they can, they can tell, right. They can tell if like, you know, a lot smarter than we give them credit for. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're picking up on Mm -hmm. those, like maybe those little social cues and that, that's why I think a lot of kids, like a lot of parents struggle with their kids, not trusting them because well, you've lied to them their whole life. You know, like you're you're telling them it's a cigarette when it's not a cigarette. You're telling them that drinking's bad when you're like drinking a beer, you know, or it's, or it's, it's too strict, you know? And that's one thing that I met. And one thing about my parents were obviously we had rules and I was scared to death of my dad. So I, I didn't, I rarely broke them. But they gave me the freedom to kind of make choices as long as I was able to check in. You know, they would mm. let me do things as long as I can check in. And, and on, on the on the counter, I, I went to school with, like I said, a predominantly white kids. They were super strict, would get on punishment, yeah. would not be able to do this, not be able to do that. And then as we got junior, senior year, you start seeing the mess with Coke and pop pills and cut school yep. and all this kind yep. of stuff that I've kind of been hip to for such a long time growing up in it. You know, I would, if they asked me my input, I would say something, but you know, to each his own. So I saw a lot early that, that, that kept me from once I got a little bit of freedom, jumping off the edge, quote unquote. And, uh, you know, I lost, a, you know, friends that were super talented in sports, particularly baseball with kids, you know, parents being so strict that once they got some freedom, they went crazy. You mm-hmm. know, they couldn't, they, they, they had, uh, you know, developed habits, whether it be an opioid addiction or a cocaine problem that, that, that really robbed them from promising, you know, major league baseball futures. So, like I said, I, I think it's a double-edged sword and, you know, being able to have that open line of communication with your kids now uh, more than ever is important. Sure. So let's dive a little bit back now into your story. At what point, I mean, I feel like every kid that plays sports has aspirations, right. you know, to be playing professionally mm-hmm. in whatever sport they, they play. At what point did you kind of realize that you at really had a shot at making it? Uh, I was, you know, growing up, I was you know, an All-American football player, All-American basketball player. So I knew I had talent. I think going to UCLA was a humbling experience because I didn't get the, the the playing time and the opportunity like I thought I was going to get initially. 
But I also think it kind of prepared me for my, my road ahead because my road ahead, not knowing, wasn't going to be easy. You yeah, know, what yeah. I mean, obviously, like you said, everyone thinks that plays and their parents think that, well, my baby's it and he's going to do this. <laughs> and the odds are it's not going to happen. Yeah, right. You know, so, it, you know, started experiencing, you know, a tougher opportunity in college, which made me work harder and grind. But what'd you, what'd you, real quick, what'd you go to school for? What'd you go to UCLA for? Communications, but I ended up switching over to uh, history. Okay. So it's just, you know, once I got on my GE, that's what I was closest to graduating in. So that's what I went with. But because I thought I'm going, it, yeah. does it really you matter? You were there, to, go you were there to play sports. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. So that's my thought process. So, you know, fast forward to, you know, playing at UCLA, drafted in the second round, but then being cut. I'm just like, oh shit. So I went from, yeah, I made it to, oh, Okay, well, what's next? You know, yeah. so I went on that D League grind early on. This is two thousand three, two thousand two, two thousand three, and it was another humbling experience. You know, but I, like I said, it it really made me hungrier. Like I mm. know I'm talented to play. I mean, okay, what what do I need to work on, and what do I need to do to get there? And so that's really kind of where I, I developed my my work ethic because. Oddly enough, you know, now I got kids, my kids are 12 and they've been training and doing all this stuff. But when I was growing up, we didn't train. We played all yeah. the different sports and no bullshit. I didn't train basketball train until I got to the NBA. Like I played basketball all the time in mm. pickups, but now, you know, kids got trainers and people train all the time. And that just yeah. wasn't kind of my air. I just played basketball. You know what I mean? So start working and developing a work ethic. Once I got there, it was kind of a little late, but like I said, it was a humbling and a grounding experience. And I really had to fight my first five or six years, you know, on, on one year deals bouncing around. But, you know, once I got that real opportunity in Golden State in 2007, why I was, uh, you know, kind of embedded myself in the league, you know, then I knew, okay, well, you, you've made it now, but still you can't let off the gas. You got to continue to grind. Yeah, sure. There's always a point, right, where like talent stops getting you there. Mm -hmm. Where did you feel like the most breakage was? Like it being like playing at every level, right? Mm -hmm. There's got to be a breakage point where like everybody thinks they're the shit when they're playing in their high school right. and they're dominating all these other schools. But then you go one level up and then all yeah. of a sudden it's like, wow, everybody's just as talented as yeah. I am. Where do you think a lot of that breakage happens? And why do you think? you were one of the people that was like, instead of whining and complaining and blaming everybody else mm -hmm. for the fact that they didn't see how talented you were, you decided, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and like yeah. start getting to work. I think it happened. It, it happened at the highest level at, at the NBA level. You know, luckily I was talented enough to get by obviously in high school, being an all American in college, I did what I was supposed to do to get, put myself in a position to make the league. Yeah. But once I got drafted, you realize that, you know, I wasn't playing or I was getting cut, but I knew I was just as athletic, just as fast, can jump just as high as that guy. Yeah. Why am I not getting it? And what people don't understand is once you get to that top level, whatever sport it is or whatever profession it is, 90% of the game is mental. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I said, because we can all run, jump, and shoot and, and play defense. You know what I mean? So what is what makes Kobe so great? What makes LeBron tick? What makes Steph tick? It's what's up here. Mm. And like I said, I was never talent wise those kind of players but i knew i could be on the same floor with them so i just kind of found early on what what is it going to take for me to make it in this league like i don't shoot like steph but i can shoot i don't jump like lebron but i can jump i play great defense so kind of early on just kind of understanding what was looked i mean obviously everyone wants to come in and and, and rest in peace be a kobe and score a 30 year game or a lebron or steph but those guys are special yeah you know what i mean those are almost unicorn type people so there's a lot more people like me that are kind of just like the blue collar role players. And mm. once I kind of understood that, okay, well, I'm not going to be a superstar, but I can definitely be a star in my role is when I started excelling. Yeah. I remember it was Doc Rivers that, that said yeah. something about that, right? Yeah. Be a star, you know, like, be a star in your role. And that was the one thing that, and that was, man, that was maybe year 
10 for me, but it made so much sense. I just never had a name for it because that's what I did. You know, no matter how many teams I played on, who I played for, I can play. I played with Shaq, AI, Kobe, Steph, KD, Steve Nash. And I never had a problem fitting in because I knew what my job was going to be. You know, I knew what I was good at. I would talk to the coach and just make sure we're on the same page. And I just went and did it. And that's why I was able to play as long as I played. You know, I've seen first picks, first round picks, lottery picks come and go. Yeah. Because, like I said, a lot of mental blockage there. But at the same time, everyone thinks they're a star and and there's a handful of stars, you know what I mean? So like understanding early on that, okay, this is what it's going to take for me to survive. This is the road I'm going to take, whether how pretty it is or not. It seems like you've always had an affinity for the long game when most people just don't, don't think like that. Most people, most people cannot delay the immediate gratification for something greater later Mm -hmm. on, you know, why, why do you think, why do you think that you were built that way? I remember a guy named, uh, Gerg, his nickname's Gerg, still a coach, but I remember early on, and I don't think he said it to me, but he said it close to me when I remember I was working out for the draft. And I remember him saying, he's like, that Barnes kid has a lot of tools. I hope he doesn't get discouraged if success doesn't come early. Hmm. So I think he saw that maybe I was rough around the edges, but I still had what it took. And like I said, even though he wasn't talking to me, it's something I always remembered. Hmm. It stuck with me. And it's just, okay, well, someone who's been around the game 40 plus years says that about me. Exactly. I know I have something. Let me figure out how to make this shit work so I can have a long career. Yeah. Right. And then, and we'll talk about this more in a second after we talk a little bit more about the the career that you had in the NBA, but I I feel like you kind of now taken that into the business world as well and and, and get into your like foray into entrepreneurship, which I know that, you know, you didn't really jump into that world into, you know, a decade into the -hmm. the league, maybe like early Mm thirties or something like that. Um, but I, I want to make sure that we talk about that. Yeah. But before we do, I mean, career in the NBA, man, I can't just breeze over it. Um, I want to spend the majority of our time talking about your story and some business things because basically every other podcast you talk about is something with sports, mm-hmm. but I can't glaze over it because I'm a huge NBA fan. So right. talk to me like top three, maybe most memorable, maybe not like best or craziest, but most memorable moments for you just being in the league. Um, one, making it. I think mm. that's number one is because it was such a grind. It wasn't the pretty drafted you get a couple million dollars and your life has changed it wasn't the bell of the ball moment you know when people oh they made it you're a millionaire first of all we're taxed nearly 48 (laughs) percent, so whatever you see is half but like not even it wasn't even getting to that point it was just actually making it because you know like i said i went to ucla the number one recruiting class in the country i was the fifth touted player on that team like everyone else in front of me had played in the mcdonald's game and they Mm. were supposed to be one or two and done and come to find out i had the longest career out of you know everyone in my class so making it as one i would say in 2007 with that we believe team was a special moment where you know right there it was me kind of finding my footing in the league. You know, a, a quick story to how that season happened was a college teammate of mine, Baron Davis, uh, was had just been traded to the Warriors a year before that. I'm coming off of first year with the Clippers, played well off a 10-day contract, made the team. They wanted to sign me to like a, a, a small two-year deal. In the offseason, I'm working out at home in Sacramento, and Chris Webber is out there and Jason Williams, and this is when they're really good battling with the Lakers. So I'm like, damn, I'm with my hometown team. I'm going up to Arco Arena working out every day. And showed enough stuff up there to where they offered me a deal like, hey, you know, it'll be a one year deal, but you can come home and play. I'm like, hell yeah, I want to play for my hometown team, maybe win a championship. That was Uh, a good team back then, man. But my first year there is when they traded Chris Weber to Philly. So from me, I was a throw in in that trade. But it's really kind of how Chris Weber and I became, you know, went from teammates and, and friends to brothers because he's heading towards the end of his career. I'm at the beginning of my career, so I'm learning 
mm-hmm. everything I possibly can soaking up game from him, but I'm not getting an opportunity to play. So, you know, as he's kind of an aging star, kind of figuring out what's next for him, he's kind of encouraging me as to continue to work. And then I'm doing the same for him. Like, I know you still got more in you. This is a maybe not the best situation. So we're kind of pushing each other. But then to get, you know, through that and be able to land on my feet, it was a special moment. And, you know, I was able to continue just to push through. And, you know, I always say, you know, I played on eight teams in 14 years in the first, well, my first four years I was on four teams, but, you know, I jumped around, but I always just use those understanding again, like you said, big picture, this is an audition. So, Mm. okay, I'm here. I play there. I'm meeting this person. Everyone in the front row is big time business people. So I'm shaking hands in all these different arenas and in States and, Post-career, it really opened a ton of doors for me because mm. you got to think, I, you know, I went to UCLA, I played for the Lakers, I played for the Clippers. So there was, wasn't was a person business-wise that I didn't really run into. So, mm. you know, I took, you know, all my experience from 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 uh, the NBA is just kind of a, a stepping stone because I knew post-career with everything I've accumulated, people I've met, and the way I think, you know, to the future – that I was going to be able to capitalize on those relationships after I was done playing. Yeah. And that's when I've been able to do, and it's been, been able to open up a ton of doors across several different platforms um, of business. And, you know, I've been able to kind of not recreate myself, but, you know, most of the time when people, if you're not a superstar, most of the time when you're done playing, you kind of just fade off into obscurity, you know, yeah. but now my name is <laughs> as big as it's ever been. You know, I have an award-winning podcast. I'm on ESPN. I'm doing a bunch of different stuff. So yeah. I'm still right in the mix. So my second act of life, quote unquote, to me, I feel like is going to be bigger, more lucrative and definitely more impactful. Yeah. Uh, I'd I'd be remiss if I didn't at least bring up Kobe because Mm -hmm. I know that you guys had a cool relationship kind of starting with the infamous ball fake um, in that game where you guys are kind of just at each other's throats the whole time, just two fierce competitors going at it the whole time. And then ball fake moment happens. But then after that, basically that summer, right? You're looking, mm-hmm. you're looking at going, it was Miami. They're, yeah. put, they're putting together LeBron, D-Wade, mm-hmm. Chris Bosh. You're yeah. talking to Pat Riley about joining up yeah. with that squad. So, what happens then? So Kobe, Kobe and I's kind of relationship, I would say started or met each other was came to Lakers in 96. I came to LA in 98. So he's, you know, his first couple of years and he's, you know, fresh out of high school, jump into the league, yeah. you know, with the team like the Lakers. So you would, you would see Kobe UCLA a lot walking on our campus, hanging out, sometimes working out, you know, he'd work out in poly. So after we were done practicing, sometimes I'd go back in and watch him and just like, wow, this dude's only two years older than me. He's a motherfucker. All right, well, I'm going to have to start guarding someone like that. So yeah, I'm yeah. using that in my mind. Like, okay, I'm guarding Kobe. Fuck who I'm playing in college. I got to guard Kobe. So kind of going from an admiration standpoint and a fan of his game to finally making it. And then like, I've been waiting for this time my whole life to guard you. So that's yeah. kind of my mindset. So I'm, I'm amped. So it was just always a battle. You know, obviously we respected each other, you know, one of the greatest players ever. And I just hoped to make him work when I guarded him. But like, I looked, I wasn't one of those guys that say, I can't wait to drop 30 tonight. I'm like, oh, damn. All right. I get to guard Carmelo Anthony tonight. I yeah. get to guard D Wade tonight. I get to guard Kobe, LeBron, KD, Ginobili, you name it. I'm guarding him. So that's the kind of excitement I would get. But so making it the NBA back and forth. And then it kind of came to a head in 2010 with the ball fake. And, and, you know, that was just a back and forth game heading into the playoffs where he's super competitive and already more physically gifted than everybody in the league. But he's also a mental monster. So he'll try to do some sh- like he'll try to mentally fuck you up, you know, and sometimes that's elbowing or, or, or saying what he says or grabbing you. And he was just in, in his antics bag that game. So we just went back and forth. And I was to the point where like, 
I'm always retaliating, so I'm the one getting the foul called or I'm the one getting the technical foul. And I'm just like, well, you didn't just see this motherfucker elbow me or this, this, and that. So it got to a point where I'm like, fuck basketball, we're about to fight. And that's kind of where I was. So fast forward, ball fake happens. He doesn't blink. We end up winning the game. You guys talked about that, though, right, yeah. on your podcast. Yeah. This was yeah. like the last interview, That was one of his last yeah. interviews, yeah. We talked about all this. But fast forward to the summertime, and initially I was supposed to re-sign a deal with Orlando, and, and they started acting funny. So I hop on the on the call with uh, D Wade and Pat Riley, and they have this under wraps plan about you know Bosch is coming and LeBron is coming and you know I can see you Mike Miller Bosch LeBron and and, and Dwayne closing out games so I'm then Pat I'm a Laker fan at heart so I'm hearing the fucking Godfather oh, sell yeah. me about South oh, Beach and, and what is coming so I'm like Shh, this is a no brainer I'm good I'm 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 in. I'm in and then within those you know maybe two or three calls we had. With uh, with Miami, I get a random call from a number I don't know. And the people that know me, I don't ever answer my phone. Even if I see your name, I'm just, I'll probably text you later. But for some reason, something told me to pick up the phone and get a call. What's up? Who's this? Like, it's Kobe. I'm like, yeah, right. I was like, who is this? He's yeah, like, right, oh, it's right. Kobe. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, what's going on? How you doing? I'm just like, what the fuck? I'm like, man, I'm well. How you doing? I didn't even know how you got my number. Because like I said, we we were competitors. We weren't friends yet. We were just yeah. competitors that that battled. And, he, you know, we get to talking and laughing and talking about the shit. He's just like, yo, anyone crazy enough to fuck with me is crazy enough to play with me. Do you want to be a Laker? And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I shake my head. Like, there's no fucking way Kobe is trying to tell me, come be a Laker. I'm like, hell yeah, I want to be a Laker. You know, I grew up a Magic Johnson fan, Showtime Lakers. He's like, all right, well, this I'm going to get it done. Like, three days later, I was a Laker. You know, so from <laughs> The there, only opportunity crazy. that could have overrided Miami. The, yeah, right. right. Yeah. Looking back, obviously, they won two championships. I got hurt in L.A. We didn't win a championship. It didn't go as well. But, I mean, the opportunity to put on that Laker uniform and then play next to him was yeah, enough right. for me. Right. Um, but that where we went from, like, teammates and respected competitors to, to brothers uh, because we would hang out all the time off the court. You know, we yeah. were both going some stuff in, a, in our personal life. So we were going to dinner, going out, talking hanging out and I really got to know the other side. You know, I got to know, you know, the Mamba on the court, but Kobe Bryant off the court, the the businessman, the father, his likes, his dislikes, yeah. the guy that talks shit and laughs and like and the, you would not you might never see him laugh on the court, but we're talking shit back and forth in the locker room hysterically laughing. You know, I mean I got to see that side of him. Almost to the point where I remember one time on a bus, I don't remember, I think we we're in Phoenix. We were talking shit and laughing. I'm just like, damn. I'm like, Kobe, why don't you show the, the world this side? He's like, what you mean? I'm like, show people how fucking cool you are. He's like, no, I can't give these motherfuckers that. You know what I mean? Like, he always had this mamba mentality. mentality. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, can never show a side of weakness, can never show this. But like I said, I was able to break that wall down and, like I said, be able to come be, become brothers with him. And so much to the point where, you know, as soon as we came there, he started giving my, my twins were maybe three years old at the time. They were, that was Uncle Kobe. He's always getting them this new shoe release. And even till, you know, after we both retired, him coaching Gigi and me coaching the twins, Gigi was two years older than the twins. So we'd be playing at a lot of places um, at the same time. So Kobe always went out of his way if we knew we were going to be playing at the same tournament. You know, when the boys playing, me, me when's Gigi playing? And, and I, we have video of Kobe kind of like being sworn, but st- coming and standing, you know, on the other side with the security and just watching my kids play. You yeah. know what I mean? So it was just, one of those relationships where we went from fierce competitors and and and, and respected the shit out of each other to 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 brothers, and um, obviously gone way too soon. But I I really take you know to my heart that I got a chance to know the other side 
of Kobe Bryant. Yeah, that's because I grew up a, a Laker fan. Mm-hmm. So my team was the you know 2000, 2001, 2002 yeah. Lakers, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, there's it's so rare to see like the Kobe Bryant like laugh. You know right. what I mean? Back there's just so few times on film, and obviously back then cameras weren't in the palm of our right. hands every day. But that was I feel like kind of like one of the worst parts for me is that. He was becoming that person oh. after like post career. He was he about was to so step into adamant. It's funny you said yeah. that he was so adamant about shedding because I remember the the time we went and interviewed him, and it was a, it was probably maybe a forty five minute interview, and we were supposed to do a round two. He just was in a hurry, and we we knocked out the first one. But I remember we were talking before we were while we were setting up, and he was telling me about these children novels he's writing. He was just about to drop one, and he gave me a couple that signed for the twins and all this kind of shit. He was so adamant about putting to rest his first twenty years. I'm like, Kobe fuck you mean like you're always going to be Kobe Bryant the Mamba the five-time champion but he didn't he wasn't with that he's like you know I want the world to see me for my next 20 years like my business my father my you know the father I am all the other stuff I'm doing I don't want to be you know I don't want to be a one-trick pony almost Mm. and so he was adamant and you saw you know him being able to win Oscars and that kind of stuff Um, Mm. in a short window of time he was really passionate he took that same passion and fire from the sporting world because we're naturally if you're an athlete that's lucky enough to make it to the highest level, obviously you're tremendously disciplined. So he took all those principles and went from waking up at the crack of dawn and working out to applying those to business, you know? So me now, you know, I'm up at six thirty, seven at the latest. And instead of getting up and running, you know, I hop on and, and do some emails, light a joint and kind of get my day going. But like yeah. I said, it's that discipline that I'm doing every single day because I'm used to having to bust my ass physically every yeah. single day. So you know, now staying mentally sharp is a lot easier than that. And it's it, it's been fun. But like I said, that was something that I picked up from him once we became teammates is kind of like what's what's in that business world. Obviously, I was never on his level, but there was always doors open to me as well, because, you know, I played with someone like him and played with Chris Paul and all these other guys. So kind of just watching his moves as well. And that kind of helped me in business. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like, like, like hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent 
fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. This episode of the Build Your Network podcast will be back in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job descriptions, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. I personally love Indeed. It makes it easy to hire great talent, and according to Comscore, Indeed is the number one job site worldwide. That's right, worldwide. Wide. So start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash network. The offer is valid through March 31st. So what are you waiting for? Go to indeed.com slash network and claim $75 in free credit before March 31st. That's indeed.com slash network. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. This episode of the Build Your Network podcast is brought to you by Gusto, the all-in-one HR for growing businesses. You can get everything you need to hire, pay, manage, and support your hardworking team in one intuitive platform. You can automatically file and pay all state, local, and federal payroll taxes, do simple time tracking, time off requests, and more, and have access to a wide range of health and financial benefits and direct access to certified HR experts. That's just a few of the amazing tools that you get with Gusto. And right now, you can get three months free when you run your first payroll. All you have to do is use the URL gusto.com slash Travis. That's G-U-S-T-O dot com slash Travis. All right, let's get back to the show. So I want to talk a little bit more about business, but before we do, you mentioned all the people that you guarded in in the league. I'm sure you've been asked this question. I'm sure Mm -hmm. you've done some thinking on it. Who was the most difficult one to guard, man? Kobe. Yeah. Kobe was the best. But like I said, right after that, and people don't understand, like my era was an era of wing players, twos and threes that scored. Mm. So it was Kobe. It was LeBron. It was KD. It was Ginobili. It was D. Wade. It was Paul Pierce. It was Tracy McGrady. Some of the best to ever do it. Some of the best to ever do it. And I'm forgetting, like guys like Michael Red, you yeah. know, guys that you don't really think of Pops, that were yeah. fucking killers. You know what I mean? So that was my era of basketball. But that was when... You know, your two or your three guard averaged 30 a game. So every night, that was my motivation. It's like, hell yeah, who am I guarding tonight? That was kind of my let's get ready and go type situation. All right, cool. So let's talk a little bit, a little bit business, a little bit entrepreneurship now. Um, That's what the show is about. That's what mostly, you know, people come here to listen about. Hope we didn't bore you with that first part. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, That's, that's my selfish interview part. Yeah. All good. So I know, you know, we were on a phone call the other day and you just kind of mentioned that something that you're really trying to do with your kids is kind of get them into this, this business, this entrepreneurship world. Mm So real quick, give them a quick shout out for what they're working on and then I'll ask you a couple quick questions. Definitely shout out 
Um, Isaiah and Carter Barnes. We got the Barnes Boy podcast now. You can find that on YouTube. The Barnes Boys. You can find them on TikTok, the Barnes Boys podcast, and then also same handle for Instagram. But I wanted to, I was late and you mentioned it earlier. I didn't step into the business world, even really start thinking business until I was about 32. Because you think back in the early, you know, I came in the NBA early 2000s. It wasn't that kind of talk. Now it's cool to talk about business and investments and all that kind of shit. But back then it's, you know, and I wasn't really one of these guys back then, but this is what was talked about was, you know, jewelry and cars and houses. And I was into the women part. But the other, like, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't, it was never business conversations in the locker room, and I wish it would have been. So I jumped into business late, you know, at 32, 31, 32, I just turned 41. So I've been in this entrepreneur, entrepreneurial space, you know, maybe a little bit over 10 years. So I'm thinking, you know, if I can get my kids who are 12 now, just start thinking about it. And obviously, I'm just like my parents, I hope my kids are happy and make the NBA and make a ton of money. But if they don't, they want, I have to prepare them for life, not only how to be good men and, and, and leaders, but at the same time, that business sense, because yeah. now more than ever, you know, there's millions of dollars waiting at the palm of your hands. You just have to know how to access it. So, mm-hmm. you know, being able to put them in this podcast space and, you know, like you said earlier too, off camera, there's a ton of famous TikTokers and ton of famous YouTube kids, but no one is really in this podcast space. And, yeah. you know, my kids have a unique identical twin bond where they just play off each other oh, that's so funny well. as hell man oh yeah, so funny. well i mean the way they talk <laughs> shit to each other and will wrestle in the middle of the podcast but then also <laughs> intelligently speak on what they're talking about sure, like they know yeah. sports too you know right. what i mean so i think it's a great triple threat and i reached out to you obviously because you know we met um at that event and then uh, y- y- your your name popped up and then i was at my birthday trip into loom at literally on my birthday having breakfast with my girl with my ear pod in one ear and I, I and I had an open ear to her, but I'm listening to your podcast seminar yeah. on how to build a podcast and how to do this because, you know, obviously as much success as I had with all the smoke, only 50% of that is mine. Sure. You know what I mean? So yeah. now with this stuff, this is, this is going to be my boy. So I need to learn it like the back of my hand. And, and, you know, so to me, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. Come to listen to someone like yourself who has, you know, a majority of it under control and, 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 and teaches it. So, it was crazy. I'm sitting in Tulum at breakfast with my girl, and I know she was irritated. I'm like, this babe, I'm over here taking notes, but still keeping up with the conversation, still eating. Like, you, got, hey. you got one ear. Yeah, you yeah. know what I'm saying? You got this whole left ear, so use this shit up, because this right side and this right side of my brain is <laughs> taking uh, notes, um, because like I said, I'm trying to build my kids' podcast. So like I said, just getting them in that business that I'm, um, state of mind. And we're also doing something because we have a really good AU team. We're, you know, top 10 in the country. So, you know, we've been filming them the past couple of months and hopefully they're going to be able to turn that into like a little show. So yeah, cool. just giving the kids in, uh, different opportunities, you know what I mean? Like, great if you want to play sports, but you can also be a lawyer. You can also be in management. You can also be a content creator. There's a lot of other stuff um, that goes into this world outside of just playing sports. So I just want to have them prepared um, in that space. Sure. Yeah. So what do you remember what it was? you know, being 30, 31, 32, whatever that time period was where you kind of started diving into that world. What was conversation with somebody? Was it like, you know, somebody that maybe blew their, you know, um, just kind of, I've always been thinking ahead and I kind of felt like I was coming to the end. I was on a rocky relationship with the twins mom. And I was just kind of thinking like, man, I've been in the NBA 11 years now. I'm not sure how many more I'm going to play. So what do I want to do next? You know, yeah. I know I got some money in the bank, let me start investing in stuff I like, mm. you know what I mean? So I started making investments in stuff that I thought was really cool or stuff that is kind of, you know, that, that people are going to need. And yeah. that's where I kind of started making investments at. And 
you know, anything I invest in is something that, you know, obviously I believe in because, you know, we've vetted and everything, but it's stuff that I kind of feel like is always going to be needed, you know, so I'm invested in everything from flowers to a fresh press juice company, to a betting company, you know, to tech, to cannabis, to all kinds of different spaces, because I mean, there's just so much cool shit out here, you know what I mean? And like I said earlier on, being able to play as long as I played and being able to have doors opened, I've got to meet experts in all these lanes. So it's almost like I get the, you know, I get the, I get the cheat sheet to, you know, hopefully avoid some of the pitfalls they hit. But like I said, at the same time, just so many opportunities on my plate. Yeah. Right. Was it ever a part of, of your goal to like start your own thing? Or was it just kind of like, I don't want to be one of these people that makes a bunch of money flash in a pan. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards is kind of back to where I started. Mm -hmm. And now I got to figure out something else. It wasn't necessarily my own thing. And I think because out of the gates, I jumped into so many things that I didn't, cross my mind to really do my own thing. To me, I invested in stuff that I know is going to work, but I was across so many different planes that I was just like, man, I don't really have any other time because I'm hands on in all these other investments. So mine was just kind of hopping on and, 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 and increasing value in, Mm. in in companies that are already going. And I've been able to do that. And now, you know, since then I've, you know, been able to invest, you know, be, be a first in investor and, be, be a part of projects where I obviously have more skin in the game, but initially yeah. it was kind of just investing in things that were already up and going. What's, uh, what's coming up for you? Anything? Um, big? have some great tech plays. I was just telling you before, like can't quite announce them, but so, so, some, you know, you have to disrupt, you have to disrupt whatever space you're in to really kind of make any money or any noise. And we have two disruptive apps um, one in the shoe video game space and then one in parenting, co-parenting and two spaces I'm very familiar in. Um, so, you know, these are <laughs> for just, better or worse. Right, familiar. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, so those are two disruptive. Uh, we have two disruptive plays with that. Like I said, I'm invested in probably five businesses, but really now in investing, you know, I've been fortunate enough to do what I do and made money in basketball. So anything I invest in, first and foremost, obviously I have to believe in it, but there has to be some sort of give back component. So whether that means, you know, if I'm working at all the smoke and there's not that much diversity, I want to bring two of my homeboys I played basketball at UCLA with, you know, mm. let's, let's put some color in this room. Yeah. And I've been able to do that. Or it's, you know, I'm a senior advisor for Ease at their Momentum program, and that's basically the social equity play in the cannabis space. So, you know, how can I provide jobs and opportunities for people who look like me in a space that was created for us, but we're less than 5% representation in that space. So I've been able to team up with my big brother, Chris Weber, who has a $100 million fund, and we're doing some really good stuff in Sacramento in the cannabis space. So everything I do is kind of have like, you know, how can I help people? Because I've been fortunate enough to make money mm. in what I originally did. So now that I'm making money in other spaces... I want to be able to help and open doors for people um, as well because I've been fortunate enough to make it. And that's sometimes that's all you need is, you know, they let a couple of us in. We're supposed to kick the door open and bring our people with us. And that's what I'm trying to do. You know, you've mentioned, I don't even know how many times throughout the interview, different people in your life, different relationships that mattered at different points. And, you know, this, this podcast is called Build Your Network. We talk a lot mm-hmm. about how important it is to cultivate the people that are heavily influencing your life on a day-to-day basis. What has that meant for you, the people that you've kind of surrounded yourself with in terms of putting you on a path that leads to where you are now versus Mm -hmm. a path that could have been like some of your other friends that you mentioned that, you know, wasted their careers? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think my biggest asset 
And, and what I bring to this space is my dot connecting ability. Hmm. I've got equity in companies from connecting dots. I've got yeah. large chunks of equity in companies for connecting dots. So to me, it's, and you know, once you're in the space, it's obviously about what you know, but more importantly, it's about who you know mm. and my the ability like to call that. on someone like Robert Smith, you know, the the black billionaire who was a business partner of Deion Taylor, who was a buddy of mine. I grew up playing basketball with in the park, you know, who's one of the biggest black directors in the game now. Or someone like Chris Weber, whose episode 77 is out for all the smoke right now. We just dropped it yesterday, so check that out. But, you know, he's I always knew he was in business and he just secured his own $100 million cannabis fund. So now mm. we're teaming up and doing stuff like that. I'm actually raising my own um, $100 million fund where I've reached out to a handful of my friends um, to throw some money in and it's rolling. So hopefully we're going to be announcing soon either a 50 or $100 million fund focused on black creativity, black tech, black business, and kind of just helping minorities overall. So I, like I said from the beginning, I think my biggest attribute is kind of who I know. I mean, I know a little bit, but it's more about who I know and my ability to connect dots and bring like-minded people together and like-minded energy. Uh, the tech play I was telling you about, about the shoe sneaker thing, you know, we just had a huge call right before you got here with Showtime because we want Showtime mm. to kind of be, you know, possibly investor, but definitely one of the title sponsors of of the app. And that's just, you know, hitting up Brian Daly, who runs our show like, Brian, I got a dope play that could really help you and help Showtime. Yeah. And he he was blown away. He's like, he hit me back as soon as I was like, man, hell of a presentation. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's just like yeah. me being able to open up doors to different people ha, ha, is really the reason why I've been able to grow so fast in this business. Yeah. It just shows you too, man. Like you don't, you don't have to be an expert in everything. You know what I mean? Like you don't, you don't, you like, you didn't have to go back to school and get an MBA or a doctorate or something like that to make you qualified yeah. to be able to start these businesses or do these investments. Like, like you said, like you're, you're trying to learn something new. So why not go find the people, the best people who've do done it, it already? They know all the pitfalls. They know how to make it successful. Right. Talk to them, bring it right. to there and say, hey, how do we make this happen? Let's well, just do like, it. you know, with, I mean, be a star in my role. And that yes. doesn't just apply to basketball. That's in right. life. You know what I mean? I think you need always, to me, I always try to surround myself with people who are smarter than me. Exactly. You know, people who are smarter <laughs> than me that I can learn from. I'm not so much for, I mean, I have a few friends that I come over and we'll smoke weed and watch games and kick it, but that's not really this the space in my life. And, sure. and while we're doing that, we're talking about business ideas now. Yes. How, what can we right. do? What you got going on? What can I help in? What can I invest in type situations? So, you know, it's just always constantly thinking, you know, how can I be better? How can I help? Who can I, you know, who can I connect with to build on? And, and, and who else can we bring into the fold? Because I, to me, I feel obligated to know that I was lucky, mm-hmm. you know, granted I played on you know a handful of different teams and, but I was lucky to even, get an opportunity. I think Russell Westbrook said it best the other day when, you know, Stephen A. Smith was, was trying to downplay his accomplishments and mm, Russell's yeah. like, I feel like I'm a champion because I made it. Yeah. Like, Do you know where I fucking came from? Right. And, you know, and that's, I, I, it couldn't fit my life better. You know, although I was able to run a ring at the end of my career, like I made it. You yeah. know what I mean? So like my job now is how, how, how can I help other people? How can I open doors? How can I educate whether it's in voting whether it's in cannabis, whether it's in social equity, whether whatever the, whatever the space is, is how can I encourage and help other people um, achieve their dreams? Yeah. Well, bro, I, I wish, wish we could sit here and just talk for hours and hours because I got a ton of other questions for you, mostly revolving around basketball and stuff. But uh, I, know, I know we got to wrap it up uh, here pretty quickly. So is there you know, any, any, any place in particular that you want people to, to go check out what you're up to? Um, I think really right now the hub is because I'm redoing my website. You just find me on, you know, Matt underscore Barnes 
22 on Instagram. And um, I'm a crazy follow. I speak my mind. But I, if, you, if you learn, you learn I'm a passionate person. And, I, yeah. you know, everything I speak on, I'm educated on. Um, but, I, you know, that's where you can find information on my kids' podcast, on my podcast, you know, getting board seats left and right. So kind of just really letting, you know, the world see the other side of that, you know, bad or bad guy or the bad guy, the NBA, you know, I'm showing the world the other side on, on, on Instagram. So definitely follow me on Instagram. You can see kind of where I'm at in, 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 in my life. Yeah, sure. Check out Matt Barnes over on Instagram. Give him a follow, tell him what's up. Uh, tell him you heard about him here on the show, Matt. Thanks so much for joining me, man. This was uh, awesome. I appreciate you. you. Me. No, thank you. I appreciate it. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM.